Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Joining me in just a moment here on Trending will be United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. We're going to discuss his new book titled Manhood. And it talks about the masculine virtues that Americans need, in particular American men. I talk to a lot of authors and read many books, but this is a book I 10 out of 10 recommend for all men of any age, especially for men who are floundering and struggling as well today. It presents, without having to be Christian, it presents a Christian biblical worldview, diving to the depths of philosophy and psychology into what a man's mission is, what men need. There is a culture of crisis with regard to men, dissatisfaction, men who are struggling with confidence, direction, motivation, willingness to take a risk. Uh, Many men are not getting married today. A statistic came out this year that three out of five men under the age of 30 are unmarried, and they're not even interested in dating. We talk often about the challenge in the culture with regard to pornography and the video game culture. In fact, Senator Josh Hawley writes about all of these challenges that are pulling men in the wrong direction. What Senator Hawley saw in his work as a law student and then mentoring law students as a professor, he became a mentor to young men, giving guidance and direction far beyond academia. Joining me now to discuss his new book titled Manhood, The Masculine Virtues America Needs is United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. Thank you so much, Senator, for your defense for human life, the sanctity of marriage, religious liberty, and the unique value and contribution of men and women and the contribution we have to society. I want to unpack now your book, Manhood. I literally would you know, try to jump along for the sake of time at moments, but each and every word was so intentionally written for a blueprint of what it means to be a man today. The purpose and that primordial purpose of men is so helpful. And you write it. I wasn't expecting this from a biblical and philosophical perspective. Uh, these truths on manhood that truly do stand the test of time. So I'd love to dive in. I want to dig right into the beginning of your book where you dive into what a man's mission is from a biblical worldview, and you talk about a man being a tiller of soil. Can you start to unpack what that means to you and the theology and philosophy of it? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. It's so great to be with you. Um, I think that just to go all the way back, the, the Bible, of course, starts with Genesis This book is really about me trying to do my best to lay out what the Bible's vision for good, healthy, strong masculinity is. And I don't make any apologies that it's from the Bible. I mean, the the, the left hates that. You know, we're not supposed to talk about the Bible, and particularly elected officials aren't supposed to talk about the Bible, but too bad. I mean, we need to hear again what the Bible says and these foundational truths. And if you look at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, you see a story there about God creating the world, a familiar story, and God creating a garden at the center of this world, Eden, and he puts man and woman in it. And he gives the man the instruction, and it comes specifically in the Genesis stories to Adam, this piece of it, to cultivate the garden, 
and to keep it. And what we really see there, I think, is a picture of what men are supposed to do. They're supposed to make gardens in the wilderness. They're supposed to take the beautiful things God has made and to preserve them and expand them out into the world. They're supposed to use their work, their labor, to cultivate the ground. Great word, you know, farm the ground and to make it productive. So the, the pattern there is set for men. Use your labor, use your life, use your will. To, that's right, to tame, to make beautiful, to bring order from chaos. Mm. And so you dive that very deeply into a man's mission and how this goes from everything from protecting, protecting the Garden of Eden, you dive into the fall, and you even connect how there's this potential, right, this deep potential for creation in the human soul and the man's soul, and how this also has to do with his own soul, not just what he cultivates and tames in the world apart from himself as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we what we see there in the Genesis story and throughout the whole Bible is that the path to manhood is really a path to character. It is about forming our character as men. You know, so I think men, if you want to have significance, if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to be a man of influence, that begins with your character. It begins in your soul. And that may be an old-fashioned message, but I think it's one that men want to hear because I don't know a man who doesn't want to have influence, who doesn't want to leave a legacy. Every man does. And I think instinctively, every man knows that he's got to form his soul. He's got to form his character. And that's really at the heart of what it means to be a man, especially to be a good, strong man. And that's really at the heart of this book. It was refreshing in the book that to see that you really do have a keen sense of the crisis occurring. You don't have any blinders on. You see that men are struggling with a lack of confidence, direction, motivation, even willingness to take a risk. And how even through your time uh, teaching at the university level, teaching law, uh, that you saw this desire of young men to be mentored. Men would you know, come to you for that mentorship and guidance. I love at one point in your book where you mentioned not only were you helping to create an academic plan, but you were helping to really kind of do this performance improvement plan from books and all these recommendations that it touches on how deeply men are looking for purpose that with but without mentors without direction they're floundering today that is absolutely the case that has been my my personal observation from teaching lots of young men now as a father i've got two little boys at home and then a baby girl but i just as i look out across the landscape and i get now in my current line of work i have the incredible good privilege of meeting young men all over my state and really across the country. And I hear this story over and over and over, where young men especially say, I want my life to matter, but I'm not sure how to make that the case. You know, mm -hmm. I want to live a life of meaning and purpose, but I'm not sure what that looks like. And I think it speaks to the fact that the left for generations now has told men that to be a man is to be toxic. It has told men that they make the world worse off just by being men, and it's told them that life is meaningless. You know, there's nothing really to life. The best you can hope to do is entertain yourself, pursue pleasure. All of those things are false. And I think what we really need to give to young men is the truth that their lives do matter and that that meaning and purpose is found in taking on responsibility and serving others. 
I remember back in 2018 when the American Psychological Association released this perspective on manhood that basically called masculinity toxic. And it's in really stark contrast to your book. You actually even address many of the key ideas of who men are. You know, this idea that even the American Psychological Association rejected things uh, such as stoicism, uh, rejected things such as aggression and competition. We'll talk a little bit more about these, but what I appreciate in your book, Sender, and if you're just joining us, that's United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri talking about his new book, Manhood. What I appreciate in your book is that you focus on the formation of the man and how what the culture says today is bad is actually what fuels a culture of who a man is meant to be. You even dive into the writings of the Greeks and the Romans and their perspective on the difference between being a man and a male. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, a man is a biological reality, something that the left today seems to have trouble with. Uh, they seem <laughs> not to understand that women are biological creatures. Being a woman, that's a biological fact. Being a man, that's a biological fact. But, you know, something that uh, actually Jordan Peterson said to me recently, I think really captures this nicely. His comment was that nature initiates women into womanhood, but culture is what initiates men. And so when we think about being not just a biological male, that's, that, that's, just, that's a fact of nature, but when we think about growing into being a good, strong man, being a man of character, being sometimes we say a true man or a real man, that is something that a man does by forming his soul, by forming his character. The Greeks and Romans believe that. It's certainly the teaching of the Bible and while there's a lot of diversity of perspective between the Greeks and the Romans on the one hand and the Bible on the other hand, mm -hmm. on this point, there is total symmetry there. And I think men today really do, they know this instinctively. It's why they buy books on leadership. It's why they go to executive coaching seminars. It's why they follow social media influencers who say, hey, you know, do this, follow this protocol, engage in this and these exercises. It's because they want to improve themselves. They want to form themselves. That is just written into us. And what I try to do in the book is say, okay, what can we learn from the Bible above all, but also uh, the, the ancients, uh, American history? What can we learn about what it looks like to form our character as men? So what virtues would you emphasize that men need to embody today to live out their mission? Well, I named six sets of virtues, if you like, key to six roles. And those are husband and father, and warrior and builder, and priest and king. And I get those roles from following the story of the Bible as it unfolds different men and, and this story about uh, trying to expand God's temple and to build the garden. You know, I suggest that the Bible has one big story that runs through the whole length and breadth of it, which is really about making all the earth into what God intended it to be, You know, making it a, an, an Eden, if you like. A story that is Christian, we believe, is, is only and truly completed um, with Christ. But men have a role to play in this. And so you look at the different roles men play as they form their character, as they take on that mission God has for them. And my, my message to men is, even if you're not a father now, you can form the virtues of a father. Even if you're not a husband, you can form the character of a husband. And I think that those, those different roles, those different responsibilities, they really set out for men the ways in which we're supposed to form our character to become men who are dependable, who are protectors, who are providers, and ultimately who live a life of sacrifice for others. 
in those virtues that are each chapters of your book, husband, father, warrior, builder, priest, king, there's a resounding theme, everything from endurance and stoicism, this need for self-sacrifice. Can you talk a little bit about endurance and stoicism and how important that is in a culture where the American Psychological Association itself back in 2018 said these are bad qualities for men to have? Yeah, they're so wrong. I mean, they're just so totally wrong and everybody knows it. I mean, anybody who has any common sense out there, anybody who's raised boys, uh, you know, anybody who has coached young men, they, they know that they're wrong. Listen, what they call stoicism is self-discipline. Mm -hmm. It is the key to freedom in life. You want to be free, discipline your passions. Learn how to bring your desires and, and your, your various wants under control so that you can pursue a long-term goal that is good for you and for the people in your life. That's basic stuff. That's like anybody who's mm -hmm. ever pursued a goal, played a sport, you know, committed himself to anything. So, you know, it, the left is so confused today about the basic nature of reality. But what I talk about in the book is these disciplines of self-discipline, of self-sacrifice, of self-mastery, as we pursue those, as we get stronger with those, as we build those up, we become more and more the men that we were meant to be. We find that we can influence other people for the good. We can help them become who they were meant to be. We can change the destiny of our families. We can change the destiny of our lives. And that's what every man is called to. It's so exciting. And it's really, it's within the reach of every man if he will make the decision to take on responsibility and to live into the roles God has meant for him. There's a deep need today for virility in men, virtue. Can you talk a little bit about that passion energy that men need to embody in the work they do to build up what is good and destroy what is evil in our culture today? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll start with that by just thinking of my little boys. My son Elijah is 10 and my son Blaze is eight. And, you know, my little guys, even at this age, are so full of passion and ambition and adventure. I mean, you know, if there's a tree, they're climbing it. If there's a ball, they're kicking it. You know, if there's a game, they're playing it. And there's something that is very boyish and very frankly masculine about that. My view is that from kindergarten on now, the so-called experts in our society, whether it's the American Psychological Association or these other groups, want to root that out. They want to tell boys, no, 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 sit down and be quiet. No, you're being too rambunctious. Later on, they tell men, don't be ambitious. You know, you'll just make the world a worse place. You'll contribute to climate change, you know, whatever. This is so totally wrong. What we need to do is say to, this, to these men, from the time they're my boy's age and older, that, yeah, you know what? To have a sense of adventure is fantastic. To have a sense of playful aggressiveness is wonderful. Now, channel that. As you get older, channel it into the service of others. Channel it into productive work. Channel that into contributions to your family, to your community. We shouldn't be trying to eradicate those qualities in men. We should be trying to mature them to, again, help men be the kind of contributors and builders they can be. I keep thinking of a line from a church document, Catholic church document, about 60 years ago during Vatican II, 
uh, called God Emits Fez, and in it it says, a man can only truly find himself through a sincere gift of self, and how God, uh, the only person that God created in his image and likeness was the human person. He didn't create animals in his image and likeness, and how if we can only come to that understanding that we discover ourselves through sacrificial love, yet that's radically opposed to what the culture says, with everything from zero tolerance policies to over-medication and outright uh, almost (laughs) turning children into zombies, right, and tranquilizing them in many ways, especially boys, we see an education system, you write about this in your book, that's conditioned boys to reject what is fundamentally masculine. And that is discovered in giving yourself away as a gift by living out that warrior perspective. Absolutely. You know, what is most fundamentally the quality of a warrior is someone who will sacrifice his life for others. And that's why there's a strong affinity between a warrior, between a husband, and between a father there's a it's all the same ethic it's versions of the same ethic which is giving your life for other people laying down your interests for the good of other people being willing to make yourself expendable so that other people can flourish and grow and see the purposes of god achieved in their lives i mean that's really at the heart of what it means to be a man i think and there's no accident about that because it's after the pattern ultimately of christ I mean, what did christ do he laid down his life for the world So men are in our own small ways, in our own little corner of the universe, right? We're supposed to live like that. We're supposed to be willing to discipline ourselves and to give our lives for others, self-sacrifice. It's just the opposite of what our leftist culture now preaches, which is self-indulgence and self-importance and self-care, self-actualization. You know, the only way you truly find yourself is to give yourself away, to give yourself in service and love to others. And that is the path to true significance. I think many young men, and by the way, if you're just joining us, that's Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. We're talking about his new book, Manhood. It is excellent. You need to pick up this book. It dives into the virtues that men need in our culture today uh, to take back their own lives. It really is a field manual for men of how to find purpose. It's biblical. It's philosophical. It's rich in addressing what's happening in the culture today and the demotivation that men of all ages are experiencing. Senator Hawley, you mentioned something a moment ago, and I read this in your book, you talk about men needing to make themselves expendable for the sake of others. I think that's language today that men can't even process when they hear that phrase in a certain respect. Can you tease that out? Because unless you come from a very strongly rooted, a biblical worldview or saw this modeled in your home, I don't think many men understand what that means or what that looks like. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I think at the, the base of it is this, the, the nub of it is this, That to have significance in life, to leave a legacy, you have to be willing to give yourself away. You know, what is it that love ultimately is? It is giving yourself for other people. It is opening your life up to other people and being willing ultimately to trade your life for theirs. That's the root of it. And again, we see that model most perfectly in the life of Christ. We see it throughout the stories of the Bible. We see it throughout the great heroes men and women, by the way, of American history and, and all of our history. You know, we see people who are willing to lay down their lives for others to, and even, even if it's not, doesn't come to ultimately in, a, in, in war and in battle or in, in fighting, to do that in our day-to-day living, how we prioritize the interests of somebody else. You prioritize, you know, my kids need this from me. Okay, I'm going to sacrifice my interests for them. I'm going to sacrifice my desires to do this and that today 
for what is good for them now and in the future. And I think you're right. Our culture preaches just the opposite. It preaches self-indulgence, self-care, self-actualization. But is it any wonder that so many young people now especially struggle from sense of loneliness and alienation and ultimately mm-hmm. depression? Because the pursuit of self is a lonely pursuit. If you make yourself the central focus of your life, you will end up isolated and alone. If you want to have a rich and full life that matters, you're going to have to open yourself to others and ultimately give yourself away. I think that's, that is one of the great truths of becoming a, a husband or father, uh, or a husband or, or a wife, rather, a spouse. And it's the great truth of becoming a parent, is that you find life is about giving up yourself for other people. We're up against multiple different types of philosophy today, but one of them that is resounding in the culture today is uh, comes from Epicurus, right? That Epicureanism. Can you talk a little bit about how that's what we're combating, what we have to overcome today? Epicurus was an ancient Greek philosopher who wrote a lot and taught a lot, but to distill it all down, it's basically the gospel of self. It is a, a gospel that says that there's no meaning in the world uh, there, there are the gods, as he would have put it, the gods don't exist. You know, there's, there's no divine. Uh, the life is full of randomness, utter chance and meaninglessness. And so the best you can hope for in your life, he taught, is to try and pursue happiness and pursue pleasure. And he had his own thoughts about how to do that. But the influence of his philosophy down the centuries, down the millennia, has been the focus on self and on pleasure. And you hear that resoundingly in our culture today, again, from the left, self, 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 mm-hmm. you know, uh, indulge, indulge, indulge. This is why the left's message to men is fundamentally Epicurean, if you like. It is, mm-hmm. hey, men, go turn on a computer, entertain yourself, maybe buy some stuff, and otherwise, you know, shut, shut up and stay out of the way. Yeah, stay yeah. in your parents' basement, don't do anything with your life. We need to send the opposite message. Turn off the screen, come out of mom and dad's basement, go get a job, go date somebody, get married to or start a family. You know, it's just the opposite of the Epicurean self-indulgence. And again, it's all about responsibility and self-sacrifice. That's United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. You have a chapter dedicated to being a warrior, and you give the example of Joshua, who helped Moses along his journey, took over eventually in leading uh, the chosen people of God. And you mentioned this a call that God gives to Joshua uh, to be very passionate in the way he does his work, to not be afraid. He tells him to be strong and courageous. Why did that line stand out so much to you that you wrote a good majority of one of the chapters on this? I think that the example of Joshua is just so powerful for men today. It's been powerful in my life. And and the, 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 the key thing there is be willing to go confront the giants in your life. Joshua had to lead God's chosen people into a land that God said, hey, this is a good land. I promised it to you. But guess what? It's full of enemies. It's full of giants. It's full of wild beasts, as as the scripture put it. And Joshua has got to lead his people, his his, his countrymen. He's got to lead them into that great unknown. I think that is so applicable to us today, men and women. But for men, I, I would just say, you know, there are a lot of giants in your life. Maybe it's your marriage, the state it's in right now. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's an addiction. And I think what the message of Joshua calls us to is go and confront those things. You get, there's a strength that you gain only from running at your giants, only from going into the battle, only from confronting the darkness. And as a man, 
that's what you're meant to do. You know, you're built to actually be able to confront the dark and hard things of life and to gain new strength from doing it. That's not to say it's easy. It's not easy. It's hard. It's a lifelong, lifelong journey, lifelong uh, process. But there is something incredible, incredibly character building about being willing to confront the dark and difficult things in your life and ultimately to become somebody who can get breakthrough and bring life for other people. That's United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. We're going to be right back with Senator Hawley talking about his book, Manhood, The Masculine Virtues America Needs. If you can't stay with us or you've missed part of the conversation, this episode will be available later tonight via podcast. Just head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcast, grab the link, listen, text it to a friend, but be sure to subscribe as well. We'll be right back with Senator Josh Hawley. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Joining me now is United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. We're talking about his book. This book is a page turner. I know we talk to a lot of authors here on Trending, but this book is one I say you must purchase. Every single page, every single word is so intentionally written to dive into masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? It's biblical. It's philosophical. It's more than I ever expected. It's profound when you tell a young man that you're born with a purpose to play a part, and that is to confront the darkness in the world. We live at a time where people say everything's purple. Everything's great. There's no right and wrong. There's no truth. And yet what Jesus Christ taught is that there's a blueprint for the human person. There's a blueprint for how we are to engage with nature and interact with one another, male and female, that there's purpose to everything. And you write in your book about how confronting the darkness really begins within and you focus on this character formation and you lay out these six virtues that men need. And I keep coming back to what you said a few moments ago about how not all men today will necessarily go to war, yet we still need to have that warrior mindset. And it makes me think of the words of St. Mother Teresa. My parents, when I was very young, opened a maternity home for women who would otherwise have had abortions. And I remember my mom had written back Back and forth with St. Mother Teresa at that time. And one of the letters that St. Mother Teresa wrote to my mother at that time uh, had to do with how here in the United States in the West, we may not be facing bloody martyrdom. We may not have the opportunity to physically die for our faith or to go to war. But what we are facing is what she referred to as a white martyrdom, that we are experiencing martyrdom today, but it's through this fight in our culture and within ourselves to overcome the darkness within. And that kept resounding in my mind as I was reading your book. If you could talk a little bit more about confronting the darkness within and then shedding light into the culture through speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. I, this is something I think that our, our culture just really does not want to talk about any longer. They don't want to talk about the reality of evil. And they certainly don't want to talk about the reality of evil in our own hearts. But the truth is, every single person knows that that's the case, and certainly every man does. What man out there doesn't say to himself, oh, I, I, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I, I missed that opportunity. I, I should have been more bold. Um, I, I was a jerk there. I shouldn't have been. I screwed that up with my kids. Every man knows that there are things in him that are wrong. That is what the, the Bible and the Christian tradition calls the reality of evil. And my point is, it's, it's just, it's an old, it's an old one. It's an old fashioned one, which is that again, the path to meaning 
and significance and legacy begins with your own soul. It begins with confronting the darkness in your own soul. It begins with shaping your character. And that is the work of a lifetime, you know, and, and none of us, there's only one perfect person, right? It's Christ. None of us are perfect. All of us will struggle with this our whole life long, but there is an incredible dignity to be won from confronting that darkness. There is character to be built from doing it day after day. And I just come back to the fact, every man I know wants to do this, despite what he's told that, you know, oh, there's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as there's only injustice is only in the systems. It's only in capitalism or this or that. There's no real evil in the world. Nobody believes that. Nobody actually believes that. Everybody knows there's evil in our hearts and we have to do something about it. And every man wants to be better. He wants to be more than he is now. He wants to leave a legacy. And I think we just have to tell we have to tell them the truth that, yes, that begins in your soul with confronting the darkness of your soul. And ultimately, you mentioned Christ. I mean, as, as Christians, and I, I, I say this in the book, I want the book to be for folks who, who don't consider themselves religious. You know, it could be read by anybody. But I'm open in the book that I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian. And I think at the end of the day, Christ is the one who is perfect. He's the one whose life makes possible our life. The fact that he laid down his life for us allows us to live. And if you want a role model, he's the one. You know, I tell a lot of stories in the book. He's the ultimate role model. This is part of what I really appreciate about your book because it doesn't have to be given or read by someone who believes in Jesus Christ or or has any biblical worldview. But if you go back to the beginning, as you do in Genesis chapter 1, you start right off from the bat there with the creation of the human person. That is our human anthropology. That's how we get it right. And when we don't follow that biblical worldview, that human anthropology that began there in the creation narrative, we tend to get it wrong. Absolutely. And that is very well put. I can't improve on that at all. I think, I think you've got it exactly right. Um, and this is, we, we live in an age, of course, that, that really denies that there any, it, there really is any such thing as human anthropology, because to go back to something we talked about earlier, we live in an age where now we're told by the so-called experts that there's no such thing as male or female, that human is a category that, that is so fluid, it doesn't really even exist. I mean, that there are, there are hundreds of genders, maybe there are thousands, that it's all a matter of personal choice in a given moment. I mean, this, this is so fantastical that it, it, it's, you can't even grapple with it. It's fundamentally unserious. It's, it's out of touch with reality. And again, people know this. This is why young people especially are looking for vision. They are looking for a sense of calling. They are looking for a sense of mission because the empty bromides of the left just don't give it to them. And uh, our cultural message of self, self, self doesn't give it to them. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. Let's talk a little bit more about the battleground that you address in the book. You start again with the biblical narrative, going back to Adam and his responsibility to till and keep to protect the garden. You talk about resisting the darkness, how that was Adam's role, that he was actually put on earth in part for his purpose of defending others. Talk a little bit about the role of defending others and even how you seen this come to light in your own work today? Well, I think as a father, and let me just start there. I mean, one of the things that really gets impresses upon you or impressed upon you as a father is the, the obligation to protect your wife and your children. And this is really why I started writing the book. It was thinking about my boys and the influences that they will have in their lives as they get older. And I don't mean from other people, 
but I mean from social media, I mean from the entertainment industry, uh, from the corporate world, the messages that they're sent every day. And so you want to talk about just a, a, a very practical way of being a defender. I think dads, you know, you've got to be mindful. You're ultimately responsible for what your kids, especially your young kids, hear what comes into your house, what dominates your conversation at the dinner table. I mean, dads and moms are really the arbiters of that. It's harder than it's ever been because of the ubiquity mm-hmm. of social media. But I think that there's there's a real calling there for men as dads and as husbands to say, I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to provide for them. You know, you have an obligation to do that. And, and part of that is the obligation to protect what comes into your family conversation, what comes into the influences of your family, and then to shape your kids. You know, I mean, you, you've got an obligation to to teach them. You're their first and primary educator, you and, and your wife. And so mm-hmm. I think that is a very practical way to think about how you defend, how you protect, and ultimately how you enable and empower uh, kids and others who are in your charge. And I appreciate that you start with that perspective, because at the end of the day, that's who you are. You're a father. You are a husband. And historically, this is what men did when they came into politics. They gave the perspective of the family. They championed the raising and bringing up of children and their future. And it's interesting. I had a listener write me earlier this week accusing me of fear mongering with regard to the reality of social media influence, pornography, and even how we will choose or not to use things such as chat GPT and our workflow and our day-to-day engagement, you know, if we read articles by real human beings. And I was astounded by that kind of aggression with regard to the idea of fear-mongering because the reality is that we need policies in place that protect and encourage families that defend fathers to be fathers that encourage fathers to vet, as you said just a moment ago, what comes into their home from music to social media. What would you say, what do you say to men who maybe just default to what the woman, what the wife has to say about everything from pornography, video games, social media? What do fathers need to do to toe the line, to stand as protectors and resisting the darkness from coming into their home? Well, I just think of something that and about the husband and wife together, you know, something that my wife says all the time, which is that a, a strong woman wants a strong man. You know, a strong woman does Amen. not want to have another child to raise. You know, yes. I mean, uh, she wants someone who is going to pull his weight and is going to contribute to the family and fulfill his his obligations and duties to the family. So I think that, you know, it, it, hey, husbands and wives, I mean, husbands, you ought to be um, talking to your wife about, okay, wh- what is it that we our kids are watching and listening to? What What is it we're reading to our kids? What influences do we want them to have? Absolutely. But you ultimately, this is true for both parents, but I can only speak as a father. You can't offload that responsibility to anybody else. You know, as a dad, at the end of the day, I'm the one who's going to have to say, did I invest my life in my kids? Did I attend to their education? Did I help them try to become the best men in the case of my baby girl, the best woman? that they could be, you know, did I do that or not? And I won't be able to look at anybody else and be like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I, I talked to their teachers at school or I, I tried to get them a good mentor. Hey, that's great. But you know what? That's no substitute for you. I mean, you have to do it. And here's the other thing I would add. I think as dads, I know this is true for me. I'm often worried about, oh, we didn't do it well. You know, I'm not very good at that. I don't have the, you know, I don't know how to have a deep conversation with my kids. Hey, I would just say, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you invest the time and you try. You know, God's grace will cover all the rest of it. If you will make the effort, put in the time, 
if you will try and and when you when you don't do it well get up and try again dads that you know what that's like 95 percent of it in my experience because i make a lot of mistakes i write about them some of the book i mean if you want to know how to make mistakes come see me i'll tell you how to do it um i do it really well and i could tell you that what i've found over and over is it's not being perfect it is making the effort it is taking the responsibility and if you do that I just, I think there's no limit um, to how God can use your life. I think many people struggle today with the virtue of courage, right? Courage is to act in the face of fear. And we desperately need as human beings, men and women, but especially men, humility, courageous humility. Uh, how do you live that out? You know, you, you are in the limelight today. You are standing against the mob when it comes to the reality of male and female, marriage, religious liberty, uh, the issue of human life and protecting human life against this visceral attack against children, deadly attack through abortion. How do you remain courageously humble in the face of all of that? Well, I think in terms of the courage aspect of it, the most I know how to do is is that when you when you see the truth, you have to take a stand for the truth and you have to do that to the best of your ability. And each of us is called to do that in our different walks of life, wherever we are, you know, wherever occupation we have, uh, whatever stage of life we're in, you just have to be, you have to say, okay, here's the truth. And I'm not going to compromise on that. I'm going to stand for it. And so I try to do that in my current job. And and that means for me, uh, that means saying that, yeah, there, there really are two things, of two genders, not 200, you know, and it's wrong for government to try and take away the rights of parents to oversee the education, the spiritual formation of their children. Uh, it means protecting the family. It means fighting for an economy where we can raise a family in this country, uh, where we can get good jobs, where you know men can get a blue, good blue-collar job they can raise their family on. I mean, we should want that in this country. So those are some of the, the truths that, that I feel it's my, my obligation and my line of work to stand for. And I think with humility, I mean, for me, listen, I mean, every day is an opportunity uh, to be humble because um, every day, you know, you get criticized. That's part of it. And I'm thankful for that because it reminds me I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes, you know, all the time. And uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm not called. Christ was perfect. So I don't have to be. Um, I can I can continue to grow and continue to get better and recognize I don't have all the answers. I'm just called to do my part, which is just to stand for the truth as best as I'm able to. And thank you for standing for the truth of Jesus Christ. We so appreciate the work you're doing, and we are praying for you. I have a last question. I want to talk briefly about this call to be a husband. There's a resounding ache in our culture among men of all ages, married, unmarried. I think men who are not diving into their families for those who are married and those men who are avoiding marriage. We are actually seeing statistics that more than three out of five men under the age of 30 are not married and many of whom are not even dating today. They're not interested. What would you say to the young men who are experiencing that discontentedness, that loneliness, yet they're of marrying age? I would just say to to the young men out there, if you want to have influence in life, and if you want to, in the best sense possible, and if you want to leave a legacy, here's the best thing you can do. Get married and have a family. It is not, it is not a complicated solution. You know, it is not like a 20-point plan. It's real easy. Get married, have a family. And I think we need to say to young men, you're not gonna, you're you're not gonna do yourself any favors in life. You're not gonna find great fulfillment in life by just pursuing yourself at every turn and keeping all your options open and never committing that the culture might tell you that but that's a siren song 
The truth is, when you commit yourself to somebody else, when you put her interests above yours, and then when you commit yourself to your children and you invest your life into theirs, that is how you're going to find the greatest fulfillment and deepest meaning and significance of your life. So I just think we need to be unabashed about that. And I say this now to young men wherever I go, whatever the setting, whether I'm talking to a, a group of Christians or whether I'm talking to a secular group, I just say, young men, you know, get married, have a family, make that your goal in life, not the latest passion for whatever it is, for self-indulgence or self-actualization. You know, I don't even know what those words mean. Just give <laughs> yourself to other people, make them the focus of your life. And being a husband is the way to start. It is the it is the gateway. It's what every man should aspire to. Senator Holly, thank you so much for joining us today and especially for your new book, Manhood, The Masculine Virtues Americans in Need. You can pick up the book. It's for sale now. Again, that's United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. Thank you for the work you're doing, Senator, and for defending human life and marriage in particular. Thank you so much for having me. A link to the Senator's book will be in the show notes as well as on social media. You can follow me at Timmery, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, to grab the link to this book, Manhood, the Masculine Virtues America Needs, by United States Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. Please share this episode with a young man in your life who is searching for purpose and meaning. Maybe he's floundering. This is a book to show him the blueprint for how to be a man. It's in line with our Catholic faith. It's a biblical, philosophical perspective. So subscribe to the podcast you heard today, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcasts. And be sure to actually text a link of this episode to a few men in your life. It could be life-changing. I'll be right back to talk about prudence. That's one of the four cardinal virtues. What is it and how can we practice it? listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. If you didn't catch our conversation with Senator Josh Hawley, be sure to listen up by catching the podcast later tonight, relevantradio.com forward slash trending, or wherever you catch your podcast, and be sure to subscribe. Let's talk about prudence. What is prudence? It's one of the four cardinal virtues. It's a virtue. And virtues, I remember being on a retreat one time, and a priest said that virtues are to act and think with the instincts of God. And I loved that statement. There are a lot of other theological depictions of what a virtue is, but I like when we ponder it in that sense. That it's thinking and acting as God thinks and acts. It's us living the life of Christ in the world. That's why it's one of the four cardinal virtues, those primary virtues. That if we have these virtues, they really help us in living out all of the other virtues. So what is prudence and how can you practice it? Well, I actually did a full series on prudence. So I'll post a link in the episode notes as well as on social media for you to unpack that a little further. I hope you will go back and listen to it, especially after we just celebrated Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's such an abrupt end to the season. You know, it used to be in the liturgical calendar that we had a season for all of these different days, a season for Christmas and a season for Easter, something we're used to. But sometimes some of the other feast days like Pentecost had seasons as well. And so I want to encourage you to go and listen to that series on prudence because we talk about the indwelling, the coming of the Holy Spirit 
spirit and how fundamental prudence is in our lives and how this is the life of Christ within us. So what is prudence? Well, St. Augustine actually wrote quite a bit about prudence. St. Augustine said, prudence is the knowledge of what to seek and what to avoid. I'll say that again. Prudence is the knowledge of what to seek and what to avoid, according to St. Augustine. And I don't know about you, but I think most of us in our modern day culture really need to grow in this cardinal virtue of prudence to know what we should chase after, what we should run from, what we should build up in the culture, and what we should destroy. But it's not just in the culture. It's not just in our families. It's within ourselves as well. We're just talking with United States Senator Josh Hawley about how the battleground in our culture today isn't just our culture, what's happening in the world, the terrible things, but it's often ourselves. And that's where it must begin. And brings me to what St. Isidore of Seville said. He said, a prudent man is one who sees as it were from afar, for his sight is keen and he foresees the events of uncertainties. So it's that bird's eye view. A prudent man is one who sees things as they are, but from afar. It's a keen insight and it has foresight into what may or may not come. So prudence isn't just acting or it isn't just seeking what is good and avoiding what isn't, but it's also having perspective, foresight into what is to come so that when we make decisions, maybe there's a decision, there's an option before you, and it's a great option. It sounds great. But then when you ponder and think about it for a moment, do you ever pause and say, would this be good for me? How would I respond to doing such as this? And I'll give you one example. When Father Rocky called me a few years ago, just a month or two before the world shut down with COVID, No one knew that this was going to happen, but he called me out of the blue and said, hey, tell me more about yourself. We have a slot coming up on Relevant Radio. It's a daily slot. Love for you to come and join our team here. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. And so as we're having this conversation over the course of about a month or so, and, you know, he's asking questions, I'm sharing a little bit more about ideas I have for the show, what we were already doing, because we already had a program on Relevant Radio that was once a week on the weekends. And Across the state here in California, we'd had a couple times a week before that. But what was fascinating for me was I was praying through that situation. And I hit a point where I said, this is a wonderful opportunity. God placed this in my lap. However, Lord, if this is something that would be bad for me, bad for my marriage, we I didn't have children yet at the time, don't let it be something that I will participate in, even though it might be great work. If the great work isn't something that is good for me, if it is not edifying and transforming me to holiness, don't let it happen. If I'll become prideful, if I'll lose my faith, if I can't endure the spiritual attacks, if I become distracted from my marriage and my other responsibilities, don't let it happen. Lord, block this from happening. Shut the door. And I think that these are prudential prayers that we have to have that even when some seemingly something exciting, something that could make a positive impact on the world is presented before us, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should embark on that journey, that we should participate in that thing, even if it is looking at it from bird's eye view, a good thing. But that greater sense of prudence, actually having that foresight, seeing something as St. Isidore of Seville says from afar, to have the foresight to see the uncertainties that may come. Will this 
be something that will draw me closer to God or further away from him? Will I be able to make my way through the fire, the challenges that come with every single choice and reality that we make in life? St. Augustine, when talking about prudence, also said, prudence is love discerning a right, that which helps from that which hinders us intending to God. So ultimately, prudence is about God. It's a sense of discernment for us to help us understand whether or not something we do will hinder us or move us closer to our to God. Will it hinder our relationship with him or will it draw us closer to him? That is what every decision and choice in life is about. Why we don't talk, even within the Catholic Church, about the cardinal virtues, the theological virtues, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we need to. Because it's to act, as I mentioned earlier, with the instincts of God to move through the world, recognizing that very common bumper sticker you still see, sometimes occasionally, not of this world, recognizing we're not of this world. Why? Because we are on a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage to God. That is our end destination. So what are we doing now to act, think, function, and move in the life of God so that we can be with him, united with him in heaven? That requires that we practice prudential judgment. So how can you practice and grow in prudence? Prudence is the knowledge of what to seek and what to avoid. It's forming your conscience, starting with knowing what is good and evil. Do you actually know what the church teaches on any slew of number of things? What expectations are of you? Why you should go to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation? We talked about the five precepts of the Catholic Church this week, and I really yesterday here on the show, and we'll post a link to that as well, I talked about why those five precepts are grounded in the first three commandments that Jesus Christ emphasizes even in the New Testament with a summary of the two commandments that he gives us. Love of God first and loving our neighbors ourselves. But that is really a summary of all of the Ten Commandments. And the first three are very much so focused on worship. So be sure to go and listen to that episode. So coming back to prudence, how do we live that out? First, we know what the church teaches. Know why we go to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. Know what the church teaches on all these issues that we encounter every single day in our lives, morally, ethically, with finances, with how to raise our children and families. But it also, again, is a virtue. And virtue is instilled in us by God himself. So pray for the virtue of prudence. Practice the virtue of prudence by having knowledge of what is right and wrong in the eyes of God. Because he is the creator of the universe. There's a proper function to everything in the world. This will help form us into how to make our decisions. But then also stop and take the opportunity to ponder and discern the choices you make. It's important to think and pray and act and have all of these dimensions in play when we make decisions. And with time, we'll be able to make decisions quickly and prudentially. But often it requires a pause, a slowing down, a deep breath, even saying sometimes, you know, I don't know right now. Let me get back to you. Let me make, not make a decision so hastily. These are things that are good things to practice. And again, through practicing knowledge of what's going on, knowledge of what's right and wrong, taking the time to pray and ponder our decisions, it will help us to have that bird's eye view that St. Augustine and that what St. Isidore of Seville have pointed to is so important for living out the virtuous 
and prudent lifestyle. I'll be back tomorrow here on Trending to talk to fertility and infertility specialist, Dr. Susan Caldwell. So be sure to join me and send me your questions. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Friday on Trending, it's Ask a Doctor Hour with fertility and infertility specialist, Dr. Susan Caldwell. She specializes in women's health, giving solutions and getting to the bottom of things with regard to what's happening with our bodies. Not prescribing birth control for women because it's bad for our bodies, it's bad for babies, but actually diving into the root cause of what's impacting our health as women and our fertility. So join me Friday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.